0: You know, the Bible says a lot about trouble. It says a lot about uh, adversity and, and tests and trials and so forth. It's, um, you don't hear it too much anymore, but um, uh, there was a time not too terribly long ago where people had the idea that walking by faith meant you'd never have any trouble. Well, folks, uh, I, I, I'm sure everybody can't, uh, everybody's situation can't be judged or, or uh, measured by mind my experience but um, most of the trouble that I've run into has been since I started walking in faith the Bible talks about the good fight of faith the only thing good about the fight of faith is if you win there's never going to be a time where anybody that's honest would be satisfied with less than what they believe for and call it a victory so in 1st Peter chapter 4 it's uh, as I said there's a lot in the Bible about tests and trials and troubles and, and so forth. A lot in the Bible, particularly in uh, the book of Proverbs, that uh, tells us about wisdom. And walking in wisdom can avoid a lot of trouble, a lot of tr- tests and trials and so forth. But everybody's going to run into trouble. And I think, uh, it's uh, at least it's served me well, one of the things that's helped me in, in uh, staying steady in times of trouble is understanding what trouble is about. And the Bible gives us a very clear picture of it. It tells us what it is, it tells us how it works against us, and tells us what to do. Of course the doing is up to us. But the Bible gives us plenty of information so that we know how to navigate through trouble successfully. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Peter's writing to the church by the Holy Ghost and he said, "Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you you ever notice how the devil especially if things are uh, prolonged over a period of time if the fight of faith is uh, prolonged isn't it funny how the devil always tries to tell you that the reason this trouble is taking place or lasting as long as it is is because of you and it's easy I think one reason the Holy Ghost gives us information and instruction about what to do in times of trouble it's easy to get to the point where you get discouraged because of the fight or the length of the battle and you turn it around over on God at least that's what the devil wants to influence you to do turn it around over on God and make him the culprit when he's never the one that brings trouble and he's always the one to lift us out of it if we'll do what the Bible says so Peter said beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial trial which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, I expect that the main thing that Paul is talking about here is the persecution that the church is undergoing. And um, we don't know too much about trouble in relation to what the early church faced. Because people were dying for their faith, they were being put to death, given a chance to recount and deny Jesus, but there are very few times, very few uh, historical examples that we have of people turning away from God so that they wouldn't be killed, but we've got a lot of stories in early church history about people that faced the danger and faced death in such a way that even the people that were doing the the work against them or the soldiers that were enforcing it, some of those turned to Jesus at at that point in time. There's a story about one guy, uh, I say a story, as I said, it's historical evidence. It's proven to be true by several sources. There was one guy that was so willing to accept death as a badge of honor that when he was martyred, the soldier that was there and bound together with him to keep him in place and, and that type of stuff he knelt down, confessed Jesus and told them to go ahead and cut his head off too and they did our biggest trouble is money and health and some of that kind of stuff but trouble is the same certainly not in the same measure But God wanted us to know what to do and how to overcome trouble and how to stand against the devil, whether it's to receive help financially from the Father, or to receive the healing power of God that Jesus died and paid for, or even to face death. Look with me over to James chapter 1. We all know the things that James talked about concerning trouble. And he starts off right out of the gate after he says hello to everybody. James 1 verse 2 said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This word temptation means test, trial, or affliction. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, the man that wavers a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways now here where the Bible talks about asking for wisdom he's got to be talking about because of the context, because of the way he attached these things together in his letter he's got to be talking about wisdom to know what to do in the middle of the trouble he can't be talking about just general wisdom that belongs to us through the, uh, the teaching of the Word and so forth. Thank God for that. But when he says talks about asking for wisdom and asking in faith, expecting to receive, he's got to be talking about finding out supernaturally what direction we should take or what things we should do when we're in the middle of the trouble. Now let's get down a few verses in chapter 1 and uh, well, let's pick up in verse 12. He said, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Here's the test trials and afflictions he was talking about earlier. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love it. Now notice verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Folks, if if this wasn't an issue, as I said, a lot of times when we're standing in faith, Many people are influenced or or discouraged or whatever the case might be, and they give up and start feeling sorry for themselves because God's not coming through and honoring His word and doing what He said He would do to deliver and so forth. That must have been prevalent in their day too. That can't just be a new action or reaction, really, of the modern day church. He wouldn't have addressed this if it wasn't an issue. And notice what he talks about. He talks about after telling us how to to stand, count it all joy, ask for wisdom if you need it to know what to do in the middle of the trouble, but to be steady, to be steadfast. Then he starts talking about God's not the one doing the problem, causing the problem. He's not the one bringing trouble against us. Here in verse 13, he said, let no man say when I'm tempted. This word tempted is the root word for temptation earlier in the chapter. It means the same thing, test, trial, and affliction. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted. This word tempted is a different word. It means untemptable. It's talking about the character of God being so strong and so steady that there's no such thing as temptation for God. Now Jesus was tempted of the devil when he was here on the earth for that short period of time. But that was according to the flesh. So here it's saying God is untemptable. He's literally telling us God doesn't have temptation. He doesn't have anything to do with temptation. And he's not behind the temptation, the test, trial, or afflictions that we're in the middle of. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man. Notice he's talking about temptation regarding evil. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. In other words, God doesn't bring trouble on you. The Bible talks about test trials and afflictions as being evil. Well, why would they be evil? Because they're not of God. Test trials and afflictions are always the result of our mishandling situations in life or they're just simply an attack of the devil. I guess really under both scenarios, there are attacks of the devil. But sometimes we open the door to him through a lack of wisdom or failure to stand up according to the word and act on it. But here where it says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Neither tempts he any man. Neither tempts he any man. There are some times in the Bible, you remember for example when Abraham at 100 years old had his son Isaac. And then fast forward to when Isaac grows to be about 16, 17 years old. We don't know exactly, but the Bible uses the word for, for uh, Isaac as beginning to get whiskers. So it must be middle to late teens when God speaks to Abraham and tells him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. He never told him to kill him. He said, offer him as a sacrifice, and that's exactly what Abraham did. Abraham gathered everything, put Isaac on the altar, raised the knife, went so far as to raise the knife, fully intending to do what he believed God told him to do, and the angel stopped him. So he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Isaac wasn't the sacrifice, but Abraham did what God told him to do. And the Bible says, uses the word temptation, God tempted Abraham folks everything about the word is a test everything about the word is a test because the Bible says don't be just a hearer of the word but be a doer of the word so every scripture you and I hear, everyone we read, everyone that we claim as a promise there's a test behind that it's a test to see what you're really going to do Because remember, the Bible says the doer of the word is blessed in his deed. It doesn't say the hearer is blessed. There's no blessing attached to hearing unless you take the next step to do the word. And a lot of people are hearers, even as the Bible says, James writes to the church later on in this same first chapter. A lot of people are hearers and not doers. And James says if you're a hearer and not a doer, a hearer only, that you've deceived yourself that you've deceived yourself. You know, I was thinking back to some of the things that the Lord has led us through. And I know that we're not a typical church in a lot of the ways that we handle things, in a lot of ways that we believe. But there have been so many things over the years that God has brought us to And after we stood in faith and stood in faith and stood in faith won the victory and then it opened the door for other people to do the same thing that we did. That may be a little vague so let me explain what I'm talking about. When we started the church we spent uh, several years in an elementary school building and you know all the difficulties attached to that or surrounding that. You have to take in Your equipment every week break it down and all that kind of stuff and so when the time came that we decided that we needed to get our own facility rent a facility and meet in it use it for a church building we found a place just behind the Irvine Auto Center on Rockfield Drive that we believed would work for us and so we entered into an agreement a rental agreement or lease agreement with uh, the owner of the property And I was just as green as you can be. The church had been going for several years, three and a half years, I guess. And um, we were real small. But God had blessed us. He'd held us steady. But I didn't know anything about rental properties, particularly in California. If I hadn't had any experience, it wouldn't have helped me if the experience had been somewhere else other than here. And so when we got to um, the place where we signed the lease agreement, we started working with the city, and we found that the very Sunday or the very weekend of, the, um, of us entering into the contract for the building, we found out that there was a church down the street, the same street that we were on. We didn't know they were there. We had heard of the church, but we didn't know where they, where they were. And the church dissolved somebody stood up and announced that uh, the church would be no more there was a a moral failure on the part of the pastor from what I understand and um, so they disbanded their church well we went to the city and gathered all the information about what we needed to do and there's this magical, magical thing called a conditional use permit It's for just exactly the type of thing that we were attempting to do, where you go through the city planning process or go through the process with the city planners, and you have to make the building safe as far as the fire codes and all that kind of stuff are concerned. And so there's a lot of work to do, and a lot of uh, inspections to be made and, and that type of thing. Well, unbeknownst to us, we didn't know until we started getting into the workings of obtaining our own Conditions Use Permit, this church down the street that had just disbanded, they were just two doors down, two buildings down from us. They had had a lot of pull. They started off with a big bang thousand or so people and grew from there and uh, the pastor was a real charismatic guy the kind of personality you'd expect a pastor to have I guess much different from me but um, but we found out that they pulled a lot of strings they had a lot of influential people in the city going to the church and so they never did make the uh, um, improvements to the building that they needed to for fire safety issues and safety issues in, in every respect And they had gotten the the conditional use permit because of the pull and the influence that they had due to the people that were part of their church. Never made the building good, never made the building right, and left a lot of people hanging. Because after it was discovered and found out that some of these people, influential people in the city, had gone to bat for the church to help skirt some of the issues and turn a blind eye, they realized, everybody realized, it came to light that it had been a, a real unsafe situation because the code improvements or whatever you call it had, not, had never been done. Well, people in the city, certain city offices had lost their job over this when it became public. And so here we are just the day after, the Monday after this thing comes to light, Hits the newspapers and everybody knows about what's going on and everybody finds out. We walk into the city planning office, city of Irvine, and say, We want to get a conditional use permit. We're a church and we want to get a conditional use permit. And everybody stopped. Everybody in the, in the office. And there was a, a counter there and, and probably 20 people at different desks and so forth in an open area behind the counter. And everybody stopped and wheeled their head around and looked. Because here we are, right on the heels of a huge fiasco that cost people their, their jobs because of the position they took with the church and the influence they exercised. And here we are, little church. nobody knows us, and we want this condition use permit. Well some of the talk that had gone on, we understood, came to understand later. Some of the talk that morning. Around the water cooler, so to speak, was that there would never be a city of, uh, of Irvine condition to use permit ever granted again for churches. That was the only way that everybody could separate themselves and stay on the right side as they thought. And here we are. And we met a lot of resistance. They told us what uh, they gave us the packet for the condition use permit. But the guy that gave me the packets explained to me a little bit about what had happened with the other church. And he said, listen, you need to be aware of something. You're never going to get a conditional use permit from the city of Irvine. We have to give you the the packet. We have to let you go through the process. We have to do all the things that normally would be done. It was normally a three to six month process. But he said, if you do everything right, we're not going to give you a permit. Well, we've just signed a lease on the building. So he's telling me I can't use what I'm contractually obligated to pay for. Well, I I thought I'd destroyed my own church. I walked out and went and got in the car thinking, What in the world have I done? How stupid can you be? Well, when you're really stupid, you don't know you're stupid. And I was really stupid. I didn't sign a conditional lease agreement to see if we could get the conditional use permit or make sure everything was right. I was on the hook for the money. I say me, it was the church that was on the hook for the money, of course. But I'm taking it pretty personally. So long story short, we wound up going through the conditional use permit process. As I said, it was normally a three to six month period of time to get one of these things. And it took us 14 months. 14 months we were paying on a building we couldn't use but God saw us through. And the very people that said that we'd never get the conditional use permit were the ones that had to stamp their agreement that it was okay for us to have it. And they did. We found out later, we didn't know anything about it at the time but we found out later that what we did and the way we handled things and, and the way we went through the process opened the door for churches to be able to get back into industrial buildings. They granted dozens of these conditional use permits because our church did it right after another church did it wrong. And we found out about that later, and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, why? Why is this? Why does it seem like we're blazing a trail in everything that we do? Folks, personally, I don't want to be the one blazing the trail. I'd rather go after somebody else after the trail has been nice and cleared. But it seems that that's the way God had us doing a lot of things. Well, fast forward several years later, we've outgrown the building that we were in. We wanted our own land, and our own facilities. And we entered into a contract for this land. And then from the first day that the contractor was on site, We ran into trouble after trouble after trouble. The short story is we had to tell them to stop work after they had just started because they didn't provide the bonds that protected the church from liability and so forth. They sued us. They got other people involved, other subcontractors that they had signed on to do the work here at the church. The subcontractors sued us we had at one time 13 different lawsuits going at once all surrounding the construction of this building. And I won't bore you with the details. I don't really like to think of the details, to be honest with you. But for a period of about five years, we were living day to day. When we started off every morning for that five-year period, we didn't know we'd have enough money to get us through to the end of the day. But God came through. He came through in some spectacular ways. Some incredibly spectacular ways. Money came from unexpected sources. The lawsuits were handled in such a way that we lost a lot of money from a lot of different ways, time and money. But God saw us through. We lost a lawsuit that was the biggest one That uh, they were claiming we owed them $450,000, and we lost that. It was arbitration rather than a court, and we found out that the arbitration committee or the arbitration company was funded by the developers in the construction industry. So it wasn't exactly a fair shake, but we didn't know anything about that until after the fact either. I asked the Lord during that period of time, really at the end of that period of time, I asked him, why is this happening this way? I know other people that are building buildings, they don't have any trouble. The Methodist church down the road doesn't have any trouble. The Presbyterian church down the road, the other direction, doesn't have any trouble. They're all building buildings. How come we're the ones that are having the trouble? And the Lord said, because of what you preach. You need to realize, folks, That if you're going to walk by faith, and I hope you will, but if you're going to walk by faith, you're putting a target on your back. The devil can't afford to have people that believe God's word and find out that it's true. And so he'll do everything he can to stop that. So I asked the Lord, what is this? How come ours is a a long period of time? Why is it taking so long? Why, Why is this going the way it's going? And the Lord said one word to me. He just said preparation. Preparation well we passed the test we made it through the other side we wound up opening not the way that we intended to but God saw us through there's a good friend of mine was a good friend of mine they've gone home to be with the Lord now but there was a a good friend a man that made himself by the direction of the Holy Spirit as he told us he befriended us he was a much older minister he befriended us and uh, he was a. Um, if there's any such thing as a prayer warrior, he was it. I mean, this guy, he didn't just pray. He connected with heaven. You give him a prayer request, you better make sure you want it because it's coming. He'll get the answers. Well, he told me that, and he was in his 70s when we when we knew him in. Um, the early 1980s he told me this he said that when he was a young man he worked a number of different jobs he worked in a, as a um, mechanic of some type with uh, uh, real good with working on machines and motors and that type of stuff he said but he's always been given to prayer he said that it was something that was always on his heart he said he never really cared much about preaching he did some but that just wasn't his thing his thing was prayer he said, all my life, he, he knew the Lord, came to know the Lord when he was young. He said, all my life I've been drawn to pray. He said, I'd be on the job working on a motor, and a spirit of prayer would come on me. And if I didn't just absolutely turn away from it, he said, it would consume what I was doing. I and here I spent three or four hours today on my knees in the back closet, praying. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, you're going to have to quit your job if you're going to be able to give yourself to the prayer that I have planned for you. Well, he did. But where's his money going to come from now? How's he going to live? He said that for the next 12 months, it was the hardest fight that he ever fought Because he had absolutely no means of income. There wasn't a church or anybody that he knew that could partner with him or any of that kind of stuff. He had no means of income whatsoever. None. Zero. But he said, the Lord taught me how to believe for money. He said, at the end of that 12-month period, he said, I had conquered the need for money. I had found out how to believe him for finances. He said, I never had another problem with finances from that point forward. And he said this. He said, it seems when you cross big hurdles, there's a test. There may be other small ones leading up to it. But in every area of life, he said, once you come to the great hurdle and pass through that victoriously, he said, you'll never have any trouble with that area of your life again. Well, I remembered that when we were in the middle of the building program and the trouble and everything that was attached to that and I'm leaving a lot out of the story like 60% of the people that were in our church left during that period of time because they couldn't handle the pressure now I don't know what pressure they were under because I never would say much about it, I didn't want to talk about it so I'd never say much about it in church the Lord dealt with me about being honest with the people to let them know what was going on So there were a number of times where I said, well, folks, there's another lawsuit that was filed against us. And you could just see it on some people's face. That's it. That's the straw that breaks the camel's back for me. And we watched a lot of the people leave, good people, people we loved, people that had been with us for a good period of time up until that point. So the preparation that we endured, the preparation that we won the victory over, the finances that we won the victory over, From that point forward, finances have never been a problem for our church. We crossed that hurdle. So when the Lord told me it was preparation, I had already known about what Brother Halverson had told me that I just related to you. So I understood that the preparation wasn't a matter of money. See, folks, if you believe God for a victory in finances... And really have to dig in and take hold of what the Word says. When you win that victory, you already have the experience that you need if the need just happens to be many more zeros. The amounts don't matter. It's learning God's faithfulness in every area. So when he told me about preparation, when he said this was all about preparation, I knew he wasn't talking about financial trouble or financial issues but I asked him what preparation was coming and he didn't tell me I'm glad he didn't because I found it some seven years ago with this thing that's attached itself to my body now there's a lot of things about the experience that I've gained believing God for healing from what the doctors say is incurable. I've learned a lot about that. I've learned a lot about the faithfulness of God. I've learned a lot about the development of patience. And I got to the point, Brother Hagin used to say this, well, I don't, I've never heard him say it publicly, but he said it privately. He told me one time we were talking about something and a situation that had happened to somebody else And he told me, he said, you know, I don't get these people that have to stand in faith for the healing for year after year after year. He said, I don't think that's real faith. It doesn't take God long to bring his healing power to you. Well, that was a big comfort to me when I started facing this thing for myself. And there were, well, more more aspects to this than I want to take time to share but I finally came to the place where having done all to stand I've been standing for year after year after year and I've seen a lot of things changed I lost my strength every bit of my strength it was all I could do just to get through a service the most I could do was speak in a whisper for a while I know it caused a lot of trouble for the sound guys because they didn't have to push the microphone up as far as they could and still didn't get much of a signal from it because that's one thing that Parkinson's does it tries to steal your voice anybody that I've ever heard of that's in the public arena and I'm talking about celebrities or singers or things like that they've all had to retire because they can't it takes away their voice I mean if you can get back past some of the other symptoms you, you've still got the situation where you don't have a voice. It, um, in my experience, in my case, I had to learn how to breathe. I know that sounds silly because breathing comes naturally to us. It's an involuntary response. But there was no way, starting off, I didn't know the way to talk Or to say what I wanted to say. Because I had to focus so much of my attention on taking a breath. And I understand why people in the public arena have to retire and give up what they were doing. Because it just absolutely steals everything you've got in the way of strength to, to speak or sing or whatever. Of course, it hadn't affected my singing voice. That's still as good as ever. But there were so many things that I lost about this or during this thing. And I know that I don't get a pass. It doesn't matter that I'm preaching healing. I don't get a pass. I've got to act on it and do the same thing I'm teaching other people to do. It doesn't matter that I'm on TV teaching healing. I've got to do what the Bible says for me just like you do for you. So I came to the place... And it wasn't a, wasn't a matter of doubt. I came to the place where I wanted to separate myself and just get alone with God, fast if I need to, spend time in prayer to find out what it is it I'm not doing in this. And I, folks, that's why I believe James talked about let no man say he's, when he's tempted, he's tempted of God. Because over an extended period of time, prolonged period of time, questions arise like, why is this taking this long? There's got to be a reason. Now, whether I'm the cause of the reason or not, I don't know yet. But there's got to be a reason that things go as long as they do. And it's easy for us to turn around and say, well, it's just based on the measure of faith. Well, I know that I couldn't have gotten my voice back. I couldn't have gotten my strength back if my faith hadn't worked or wasn't working. So there was no way when the devil came and said, Well, your problem is you don't believe enough. Well, if I didn't believe enough, then how come I've got my strength and my voice back? See, that didn't fly. And so the devil would always try to tell me, Well, you know, Jesus said that unforgiveness was the biggest hindrance to faith. That's your problem. You're not walking in love. Folks, I've forgiven so many people so many things, it's not even funny. I had to examine my heart and did, still do. But I don't have any ill will against anybody, no matter what they've done or what they haven't done or anything. So I got to the place several months ago where I told the Lord, well, I really didn't tell the Lord. I know he knows what my intent was. But I planned to just take some time, hoping it wouldn't take more than three or four days But I cleared my calendar and I was preparing myself so that I had nothing going on, nothing to take care of, no responsibilities, so that I could pray and fast and find out if there was anything else that I needed to do in this situation. Well, as I said, I made plans for it, but I really didn't talk to the Lord about it. But after the plans were made, after I cleared everything out of my schedule, I told the Lord. I said, now, Lord... I'm going to set myself to seek your face. I'll pray and fast for as long as I need to, for as long as it takes. But I need to find out, what do I need to do in this situation? And instantly, I mean, there wasn't a hesitation. Instantly, the Lord quoted Mark 11:22 to me. Have faith in God. Now, if I wasn't walking in love, he wouldn't have said, have faith in God. He said, forgive. If I didn't have enough faith, He wouldn't have told me to have faith in God. He would have told me, pointed me to the scriptures that I would have based my faith on. See, folks, you've got to go as much by what God doesn't tell you as what he does. He told me have faith in God. Well, what does that mean? That means stay on the same road I'm on. That means do the same things that I was doing, have been doing. Folks, I have sung what it is, what song I'm talking about. And that's just as well because it's my... No point in you saying it is mine. But I've rejoiced. I've counted it joy. I'm walking in love with everybody that I've come in contact with. Everybody that I've ever known. I harbor no ill will against anybody. And I'm simply standing in faith. I'm having faith in God. Now folks, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me show you something. And this was a lot of the reason why I was making plans to get alone with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness where they murmured and serpents came in. Other times when they murmured against Moses. Verse 11 talks about how these things were done for examples to us. Verse 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In other words, he's saying make sure you're in the right place. Make sure you're standing on the right truth. Make sure you've got a firm foundation under what the word says. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, there is no temptation. This word temptation is the same one that James uses. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He's talking about tests trials and afflictions he said there is no test no trial no affliction taken you but such as is common unto man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it let me take this verse apart there's only two possibilities for what this verse means one which I think is the idea that most people have As far as God and the devil are concerned, the first possibility is that everybody has different measures of ability to stand. One person may be stronger in another person, stronger in faith or stronger in their determination of their will or whatever. And if that's the case, if that's what this means, then that means God has got the devil on a leash. And he dictates, he, God, the Father, dictates how much he's going to let Satan on a leash chew you up. If that's what this verse means, then it means that God's deciding on the part of, well, on his part toward us. That some people, he'll let the devil chew at their ankle, but not let him swallow the foot. Now, is that the way it works? folks, God and the devil are not working together under any any sense of anything in any way whatsoever. Well, then how is it that God is able or God makes a way for you to be able to bear it? This very simply means there is no trouble, no test, no problem that the devil brings because it's common to all men. We're all tempted with the same things. So he's saying that there is no situation that you don't have the means, the ability, the wherewithal to overcome every attack of the devil no matter how severe it seems. It's saying that the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, remember Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, talking about the Word of God, it is the power of God to save, deliver, to heal, to make safe and to make sound. It's the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation means a lot more than forgiveness of sins. It means everything that Jesus purchased for us. So if the word of God is all powerful. The only thing that can stop it is unbelief. And the name of Jesus is given to us. Then this scripture has to be telling us that the name and the word of God. The power that's in both of those. The combination and the exercise of both of those. Is sufficient to overcome any attack of the devil under any circumstances. Now if that's what it means we need to read it again. And it has to be. These are the only two possibilities. Well I know God well enough to know he and the devil are not working together. So he says there is no temptation, test, trial, or affliction, taken you but as such as is common to man. The devil wants to make you think that yours is a special case. It's not. It never is. No temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Thank God he is. Who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. Well, if we're able to overcome anything, what is it that he's holding back? There's nothing. Whatever the attack of the enemy, whatever your place of spiritual growth and development is. You've got the Word of God in the name of Jesus and it's always, always, always stronger than anything the devil can do. The point is you've got the ability to overcome the devil's worst work poured out all at once on top of you. There's nothing the devil can do that's stronger than what you already have. You remember Jesus talked about John the Baptist He said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. That must be, since he didn't perform any miracles like Elijah and Elisha and some of those other guys did. It must be that he's talking about John being the greatest of the Old Testament prophets because of the message that he had. Proclaiming the Messiah is coming right after me. If not that, then I don't know what he would be greatest by. I don't know what measure he would be greatest by. But do you remember what else Jesus said? He said, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Yet, he that is the least in the kingdom of God is greater. He that is the least. Now, the devil always wants to tell you and me that we're the least. And even if we are, we've got more than enough to conquer him. So there's no temptation taken you, but such is common unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. There's a limit, therefore, not on your belief or your strength. The limit is on the devil's power. Now, that's not limited because God's limited it. The Bible just tells us what a phony and liar he is. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. Notice the next phrase, but will with the temptation... In the middle of the test, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the adversity. Will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. A way to escape. That means in every situation, every trouble, every attack, everything that the devil has that he brings against you. There's a way out. There's a way out. Now the way may not be the same in every, every case or in, against everything. And the way may not be the same for you in your situation as it is for me in mine. The Bible never tells us that everybody has the same way. We've got the same tools. The Word in the name of Jesus. But I learned, even with some of the preparation and some of the struggles that we had as a church earlier on... I learned to look for the way of escape. And when I talk to the Lord about things, when I talk to the Lord uh, about His word and apply His word and confess His word to my situation, present tense or past tense, I'm always talking to Him about, thank you, Father, for showing me the way. I believe this is a lot of what James is talking about when he says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom to know what to do in the middle of your adversity, ask God and He'll give it to you. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom's the way of escape. Whatever that wisdom directs you to do, and like I said, it may be different for you than it is for me. It may be different for finances than it is for healing. There's no guarantee or no indication from the, the word that it's always the same way in the same manner. I remember um, Dr. Roy Hicks telling a story about how that he was on a, a ministry trip. I think it was to the Philippines and wherever it was it was a tropical climate it was real hot and real humid and he was preaching three or four times a day I think it was a minister's meeting or some time and so these guys had come in from everywhere and, and every possible means of transportation to get there and so he's preaching to these uh, ministers three or four times a day and he said after about a couple of days he said I started getting sick really sick and he said that, I talked to the Lord about it. I claimed my healing. I applied the word. I did everything I was supposed to do. And he got no better fast. He got started getting worse and worse and worse. And so he stopped and asked the Lord. He said, Lord, what do I need to do about this? I've already claimed my healing. Now, what do I need to do about this? And the Lord spoke to him instantly and said, use more salt with your food. You're dehydrating. So he did. He just started putting salt on everything. Cured the problem. But see, he did what so many of us do and what we all probably have a tendency to do, and that is to think what worked last time we want to do again this time. But Dr. Hicks' way of escape had to do with the use of salt, not healing power. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There's always a way to escape, folks. We've got God's word on it. God is faithful who will always provide for you a way of escape that you may bear it. This word bear really has more to do with overcoming and walking in victory than it does just putting up with problems. There's always a way of escape. What is the way of escape? Well, for me right now in my situation, my way of escape is just to stand in faith, no matter what happens and no matter for how long. man, I sure wish things worked quicker. Don't you? Don't you wish Jesus had said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith within 30 minutes? Wouldn't that be great? But it doesn't work that way. Or it doesn't always work that way. Now, here's what, uh, here's what I found in my own situation. When I asked the Lord, again, I, ta- I was planning to go through this fast and prayer and do all this kind of stuff that I might have needed to do or thought I might have needed to do to get in his presence. And he just instantly said, have faith in God. That settles a lot of the questions for me. How long is it going to be? I don't know. I've seen some people leave the church here over the last few years because I haven't, I haven't taken hold of my healing. Or, how do we want to say, I really hate to use the word manifest because a lot of people are waiting for things to manifest and they're not in faith, they're just in hope. But I've seen people leave the church over the last couple of years because they don't see my physical healing, in, or they don't see healing in my physical reality they don't yet see it in my body well again if it wasn't for the healing and sustaining power of god i'd be back where i was three or four years ago without any strength without any voice but that certainly has changed but that's all right i mean you can't control what people do maybe after things get the way they think that it should be or want it to be then maybe they'll come back maybe not i don't know whatever But that's the only way that I was able to overcome the devil's problem or the problems he caused for me by asking why or how long or when. Now I don't have those questions anymore. One of the definitions, one of the simplest definitions of faith, it's not a scriptural definition, but it sure applies. The definition is unquestioning trust unquestioning trust that was a big deal for me because that settled the only questions that i had left time's not an issue for me anymore i'd like for it to be yesterday but the bible says the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the lord shall raise him up when the lord raises me up is up to him i haven't gotten any information from him or found any scripture in the Bible that tells me that I can accelerate the process. Or make it work according to my schedule. If I find that I will let you know. So how, how real is God's word? How true is God's word? If we receive our healing within a week. Does that make it true? If we receive our healing in a month. Does that make it true? How about six months? How about years now you judge it however you want to I know a lot of people have I know a lot of people come from that same place that, that Brother Hagan said long ago you judge it any way that you like but for me the word of God is true no matter what and I don't want you to look to me to be the example of faith either I don't want you to look at me and get to thinking that it has to be years before something can change because it doesn't. That's why how my situation is going not at my choice, not by my will. All I know is the word is true. So what do we do? What do we say to these things? No matter what trouble comes my way. I believe God. No matter what symptoms may appear, I believe God. No matter what finances may or may not show up, I believe God. And if that's not the place that God wants us, what is? No matter what, I believe God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you're good. Lord, we remind ourselves of the victories that we've experienced because of your faithfulness to honor your word. We use those experiences and that memory or those memories to encourage us. Just as you were faithful in times past, you're faithful now. But Father, we thank you that through the knowledge of your word we are strong in you we thank you even for what Jesus said to learn of him and take his yoke upon us for his yoke is easy and his burden is light we trust you Father no matter what the diagnosis No matter the circumstance, no matter what it looks around us, we believe you. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will never fail. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Just as it is settled in heaven, it's settled in us. And you said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Say this after me. I believe God. No matter what, I believe God. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great week.